Hello, this is Tony Campolo. The name of the show is From Across the Pond, so named because we put it together here on the east coast of the United States. Uh, we put it together at Eastern University, which is where I have taught for more years and I wanted to tell you about. Um, but we have a, a couple of guests on our show. Um, we have uh, Molly Basquet and uh, Ellen O'Donnell. Uh, these are two interesting people. Molly is a pastor of a church in Berkeley, California, and uh, Ellen is a, uh, a psychologist, and uh, both of them are somewhat expert in raising children in a chaotic world. That's the name of a new book that they've written, Bless This Mess, subtitle, A Modern Guide to Faith and Parenting in a Chaotic World. Uh, hey, Molly. Hey, Ellen. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. Well, there you go. You heard them uh, harmonize together in that response. <laughs> okay. We do that a lot. Yeah, well, you... Two year all week, folks. Two nightly shows. Okay. Well, we'll get right into things. You've written this book, Bless This Mess, which is a guide for parents, uh, but other people as well who are concerned about raising children and teenagers in a chaotic world. Uh, it is a chaotic world. It's a complex world. Uh, it's a world where uh, electronics have taken over. And that's the first thing I, I want to deal with. Uh, how does uh, parenting uh, become unique in a world of iPhones, in a world of computers, in a world where kids don't go out and play much anymore, where Children want to sit home and play with computer games. Uh, could you address that whole thing, the pros and cons of raising children in such a society? Oh, I love that question. <laughs> this is Ellen. Um, one of the things that we talk about in the book is what we call the Holy Trinity of Parenting. And it comes from a self-determination theory, which is a psychological theory that I was brought up in um, that postulates that all people need to feel a sense of autonomy, support, structure, and involvement in whatever environments they're in. And so that's our holy trinity. And we talk about each of those concepts and how they apply to parenting. And I think the most relevant one for your question, Tony, is, is the piece of involvement. And when we talk about involvement, we don't talk about, we don't mean necessarily being with your children 100% of the time, all the time, um, by their side, but we mean really knowing the world that they're living in. And I think that that is the most important piece for parents with what we're facing right now in terms of kids' access to social media, general media, just information in general. Um, and I'm not going to lie, it's a challenge in my own house <laughs> to limit and, and monitor and corral screen time. But I think the most important thing is that parents know when their kids are on screens and what they're consuming so that we can talk about it and address it, whether that's from um, a, a values framework that, that we're coming from and to really engage with them about what they're seeing. Okay, you suspect, uh, let's say you're a parent and you suspect, or perhaps you have knowledge, that your kid's uh, logging on to uh, pornography. Uh, teenage kid, he's 14 years old, uh, he's, he or she, probably he, is logging on to pornography. Uh, what do you do? Uh, 
Uh, this is Molly talking. Um, I started having conversations with my kids about sex and sexuality when they were very young. I mean, kids as young as four start having questions about where babies come from. And the sex talk, as we write about in the book, is not just one talk. It's a series of talks that you have over and over, over with your kids at different ages and stages, depending on what they're curious about and what they can understand. Um, and I remember talking to my older son about pornography probably when he was about nine or 10, because um, that's when that interest starts, I mean, depending on your kid. And I explained to him that, you know, when my generation was young, we basically had, you know, National Geographic or maybe, you know, our dad's single Playboy magazine, you know, 20-year-old copy under the bed. But that pornography today, online pornography, is something so different and can be so destructive, not only to the people who are making it, um, but, of course, the people who are consuming it, that it really doesn't represent normal, healthy, most of the time, sexual relations, um, that it's so scripted, that it's fictionalized, that it relies on, you know, um, sex trafficked people, um, and that it, it really does not get at what, like, the healthiest, most loving form expression of human sexuality is. So we would start talking about it really young. And I said, you, you have to be careful what you Google search because you might see things you can't unsee anymore. Um, and just, you know, of course, my kids were like, Mom, I don't want to talk about that. But the more we talked about it, the more comfortable it got. Um, and the more they felt they could come to me with their questions. Well, we take a general stance of not avoiding the hard conversations. Well, and you can't, you, you can take a hard line and try to forbid it, but, you know, Porn is something like, I don't know the statistic, it's some crazy percentage of the internet. So we're trying to give our kids internal values and critical thinking processes so they can make better decisions themselves because we can't control everything they're going to do. Well, what do you tell... When they're not sure what to do. What do yeah. You, what do you tell a, a, a 13 or 14-year-old boy who's into pornography on the internet? What specifically do you tell them? Uh, what... How do you engage them in conversation, and how does that conversation unfold? I think that the conversation really needs to start, and, and we talk about this for many, many difficult conversations with kids, starting with what I like to call a wondering stance, um, where you really say, you know, I noticed X, and I wonder why. So, you know, you know that I have the passwords to your devices, and I do check once in a while, and I noticed that you've been going on some websites that you probably know we don't approve of. And I wonder what that's about. Um, it could be curiosity. It could be addiction. It could be so rather than sort of assuming that you know what exactly is going on with your child, taking that wondering stance helps you to figure out where to begin the conversation. In terms of values, what values do you challenge them on as they uh, get engaged in this kind of junky stuff. We talk a lot in that chapter about sex and sexuality, about our bodies being a gift from God and um, sort of pushing back against what, and Molly can speak to this better than I can, um, some of the more fundamentalist theological teachings that have really emphasized almost a a disconnect between the spirit and the body, and we really talk about our bodies as being gifts and, and gifts to 
um, shepherd and steward our own and others. And sexuality is a gift. And really starting from there in terms of a place of values, I think Molly can probably articulate that even better than I can. Yeah, I mean, God gave us these bodies and gave God gave us their natural desires, which start, you know, for some kids really young, for some older, and some humans never really develop a, a super strong libido or sexual desire. So we talk about a whole range of feelings um, and desires, and, and that whatever we feel is natural, it's how we express that, that things can go wrong, can harm other people. And um, consuming porn might seem like sort of a, a passive sin in a way, um, but depending on how the porn was made and your relationship with it, again, if it's become an addiction and it's replaced kind of healthy, in-person, natural explorations of, of relationship, um, that then it starts to become, you know, a real problem. I talk, I talk with my kids a lot about masturbation and how, you know, that's really in some ways the healthiest form of sex for, um, for younger people, you know, who aren't ready for relationships, who aren't ready for the consequences of um, sexual activity, um, that it's, you know, really a, a, a beautiful relationship to explore your own body, to be with yourself. And I think that's the key word, at least from our, our value system that we're both writing from and coming from, is that sex and sexuality are about relationship. And when you're consuming pornography, you're not really in relationship um, no. to those people and that that can be harmful um, in lots of ways. Well, both of you are pretty progressive women, and uh, thus I would expect that you, in the best sense, and I emphasize this, in the best sense, you're ardent feminist. Uh, and uh, how do you raise kids uh, in this world uh, where uh, there is a tendency to de degrade women. I mean, pornography is only one way in which women are degraded. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Other great um, questions. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, in regard to sex, we I talk to both of my kids about consent, but particularly my son, because, um, you know, historically, um, you know, in rape culture, the aggressors have been boys and men. And so it's so important to honor, um, honor women in all forms, which doesn't mean putting them on a pedestal. It means treating them like a whole human being. It means having open communication when you're in a relationship. It means reading cues, nonverbal cues as well about readiness. Um, and it's really, it's not just about sex, it's about relationships. And um, my son, who's now 18, when he was 12 years old, 13 years old, he was having his first little dating relationship and I was doing a spot check on his phone and um, it was a neighbor girl who had some pretty big emotional stuff going on um, and she told him she loved him and he said whoa 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 let's take this a step back and she was offended and broke up with him and he to his credit just didn't sort of abandon things in the middle of this emotional distress he said we're friends and we should talk about this face to face and that's when I knew that I'd really, that he'd internalized um, my hopes that he would treat, see girls and women as full human beings, as people, you know, worthy of deep respect and, and not just there for his pleasure. I'm talking to... Uh, we we are both um, 
progressive women for sure. We're also both cisgender, heterosexual in in um, traditional marriages, if you want to say it that way. And we're also both blessed with partners who really partner with us in modeling a range of ways of being a man or a woman to our kids. I'm raising two boys, um, and I have to give my husband a lot more credit um, than I take for myself in showing them an example of how to have a full spectrum of emotions and experiences. I'm speaking to, on the show with uh, Reverend uh, Molly Basquette and Ellen O'Donnell. Ellen is a uh, psychologist. Uh, Molly is a pastor, and they've written this book called Bless This Mess, A Modern Guide to Faith and Parenting in a Chaotic World. Uh, this is Tony Campolo. The name of the show is From Across the Pond. We're here every week at this time, and we're glad you're tuned in today. Um, spiritual things. Uh, you want your children to come to know Jesus. You want your children to come into a relationship with the church. Could you give uh, the listening audience a peek into your book in terms of how you do this? How is it best? Uh, do you have some suggestions as to how to nurture kids spiritually and into the life of Christ and then into the life of the church? I'll yeah, let Molly give um, specifics, yeah. but I, I would first go back to um, a second stool of that three-legged stool of the Holy Trinity of Parenting, where we talk about autonomy, support, involvement, and structure. Um, and autonomy support really means supporting a child's sense of um, being in control of their own choices and not being coerced. So the kid doesn't um, want to go to Sunday school. The kid doesn't want to go to church. Uh, what should yeah. we do about that? Yep, exactly. So Molly can talk about what autonomy support, uh, autonomy supportive parenting might look like in that situation. Right. So, you know, with our family as an example, I'm a pastor, obviously. I'm at church every Sunday. And it's important to us that we go to church as a family. Um, we talk about kids' temperament, and we talk about Proverbs 22.6, and um, how that's often, it's I, my translation is um, raise children in their own way, and when old, they will not stray. I think that's sometimes mistranslated as raise children in the right way, like you're all going to sort of get and step into line, all you kids. But, you know, anyone who has more than one child knows they're really different, and my children are really different from each other. I have one kid who's a total church nerd and one who, um, while he's not allergic to church, has always questioned and pushed back and has not, you know, has claimed from a very young age that he is an atheist. So, you know, I've provided that structure as a family, and my husband has supported me where we go to church pretty much every Sunday as a family, and I say, you know, you don't have to sit in church. As he got older, I said, you could sit at, you could help in the nursery, you can help put together coffee hour, but we're going to be there together because this is, um, this is, this is your spiritual inheritance. And when you're older, you may choose something different, but it's important to me that you learn these stories and that you be part of this supportive community. Um, and now he's 18, and he doesn't come to church every week. He has a job on Sundays, but he really has, um, he, he loves church. You know, he's still unsure about Jesus, but he in some ways follows Jesus more than, better than many of, you know, the Christians I've known, um, just because of the way he engages with the world and the vulnerable and oppressed. 
And I think when you parent in the way that we're proposing in Bless This Mess, you you have to let go of that need to be in control all the time and the fear of what might happen if they if your child doesn't do or believe exactly what you're hoping for them. Um, and but I also think in at least in our experience, when you parent in this way, they may sort of circle around um, and go in other directions or or reinterpret what you've given them, but they very often come back because they really internalize it as this is, these are my family's values. This is something um, I've, as Molly said, this is my inheritance and I actually um, believe it and, and buy into it. And it's, it is, it's, it's in my heart and I may interpret it a little differently, but it's there. Now that's, uh, that's very encouraging. I, I, I worry about the parent like myself who tries to, raise a child, quote-unquote, as it says in the book of Proverbs, in the ways of the Lord. Uh, so I have a son who grows up in the church as really a youth leader, uh, uh, becomes a Christian, gets baptized. In my case, uh, this son uh, seems to be walking with Jesus at a uh, uh, and is actually engaged in missionary work, organizes a couple of missionary programs, recruits kids to work in the inner city for Jesus, uh, does this, and then at the age of uh, 48 says, Dad, I need to talk to you. And he sits down with me and he says, uh, I have to tell you, Jesus is no longer real for me. And I'm going to have to mm. withdraw from the church. Uh, Jesus and the Christian thing just doesn't click with me. What went wrong? Oh wow! I don't know. I don't know that anything went wrong, Tony. I mean, that sounds very painful. Um, you're, it, you must be so proud of the amazing work that he did. But the life of faith is a long life, and there's a lot of chapters in it, and God's still writing His story. And maybe there's just some things that He needs to renegotiate. You know, sometimes we have to distance ourselves from God or from Jesus to get a better perspective, like kind of reading glasses. You know, you, you have to take a step back, especially if you've been so immersed with it. Um, Marcus Borch has a lot to say about this, about that kind of critical break when we can evaluate our faith and then make it anew. And really own it as our own. And I think we talk, as Molly said, about kids who have a particular temperament. And it sounds like you had a guy whose temperament was to really feel it and buy in and maybe not question for a long time. Um, but then it's natural to come to a point where you do need to make it your own. And, and I, and, um, as Molly said, the, the, the journey's not over. And, um, oh, what's the expression, Molly, the phrase you use all the time that I love so much? Um, if it's not, if it's not the end, it's not, just help me out. <laughs> uh, no, I'm thinking too. If it's not all right, it's not, everything will turn out all right in the end. If it's not all right, it's not the end. That's yeah, it. You know, uh, that's a, that's a good word. I, uh, I, I always like, uh, the line of the baseball coach who said it's never over uh, until it's over. Uh, and, exactly. Uh, that's a good line to yeah. bear in mind. Uh, money. Uh, we live in a materialistic kid age, and uh, kids often uh, define themselves in terms of what they can buy. Uh, how should a parent 
handle this uh, desire of the kid to have uh, money? I mean, uh, allowances. Uh, uh, how do we negotiate the financial end of being a parent? Yeah, here's we have a lot of yeah. Sorry, we have a lot of actual tips in the book um, for how to do that, but I would say that the spirit of that really goes to um, a lot of what you talk about on this show, which is what do we pay attention to in terms of our Christian values, um, and then using those to help guide our parenting in practice and the way that we set things up. And maybe, Molly, you can say more about that, too. Yeah, I was just going to add, here's where the structures of our faith can really help us, and we can teach our kids what Jesus said about money. He talked about money quite a lot. He talked about the power of giving it away, of sharing it with others who are um, poor and vulnerable. And of course, the early Christian communities held everything in common. So we can find ways to begin to practice that and push back against materialist culture. Um, we, I and we have a lot kids, of um, psychological yeah. science to back that up, too, that people yeah. who give of their time and treasure are happier overall, and that there is a limit to which um, consumption makes us happy. Um, right. and, and we know this from actual psychological science, and we know that spending our treasure on experiences as a family is much more meaningful um, for quality of life than it is if we spend that same money on possessions. And we can teach our kids these things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, give kids a little money to play with um, from a pretty young age, some money to spend on themselves, some money to spend on others, and teach them how to tithe. And be conscious of how we're modeling for them. We say there's a little story in the book about how my youngest, when he was quite young, um, would comment on those periods of time when there seemed to be a whole lot of um, Amazon boxes arriving at the front door for mom. (laughs) Um, That he was (laughs) noticing when I was in a stage of maybe getting my needs met by consuming instead of in other healthier ways. Allowance. Uh, Kids want an allowance. I mean, you're a parent. you're making um, X number of dollars a year, and uh, the kid says, I want an allowance. All of my friends get money from their parents. Uh, is there some kind of prescription to follow? We love the um, spend, share, save rule of thirds, um, and we have a lot of advice in the book about sort of making decisions as a family about how much to give each child, and of course that's going to vary depending on your means, Um, but the idea of spend, share, save is really teaching kids a way of thinking about their money and thinking about wants versus needs that we suggest starting at a really, really young age. Uh, And... um in what you're saying, there seems to be a suggestion that there needs to be a regular time when the family gets together and discusses what to do with money. Mm, good question. Yeah, I think we. Well, it could be. We I think do. both. Yeah. Both. Yes, that we and do. everyday conversations. Yeah, in my family, we tithe, and we tend to have a, have a bunch of our tribe left over toward the end of the year. So part of our Christmas feasting is sitting down together and deciding um, how to allocate our charitable giving and, and, and enlisting the kids in those decisions so that they feel empowered and feel the joy of helping others. 
But we also hope that many of the things in the book can be employed in what uh, um, I learned a long time ago were termed teachable moments, looking for those moments in the everyday that you can have these conversations, whether it's literally at the cash register as you're paying for something and talking about needs versus wants or driving to an event or um, just finding those moments to have all of these conversations with our kids. Uh, Or when they buy something that breaks right away and then you have a conversation about, you know, um, that which is fleeting and, you know, of the world and and death of the pathway and that which endures. I've been talking to uh, Reverend Molly Basquette, uh, uh, who is a pastor of a church, a United Church of Christ, uh, out in the uh, San Francisco area, actually in Berkeley. And uh, Ellen O'Donnell, who is a uh, Ph.D. and a child psychologist at Mass General Hospital, uh, that's on the other side of the country in the Boston area. Uh, how did you two ever get together? You only have a few minutes uh, to come to that because one's on the East Coast, one's on the West Coast. How do you connect? Molly, M- Molly was pastor of a little church, a growing church in Somerville, Massachusetts, when uh-huh. I had my first son there um, sixteen, almost 16 years ago. And um, I did a Google search or a, an Internet search for liberal Christian churches and walked in and met Molly, and a friendship and a collaboration grew from there. Well, good for you guys. It has lasted many moves. <laughs> and uh, so even though you're separated in distance, you still obviously stay close to each other uh, as uh, sisters in Christ. And call each other often for help raising our kids. <laughs> Amen. Well, good to talk to you guys. Um, may God continue to use you, and I hope your book does well. It's a fascinating book. I, I didn't even go over the chapter titles, which are uh, wonderful. Bless This Mess, A Modern Guide to Faith and Parenting in a Chaotic World, Thanks for being on the show today. 